My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. My Penn State classroom is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Stephen Jodderand. You know the gang. Armanka Fai, Jake Watroba with me as well. And on today's episode, MLS Rivalry Weekend as fans protest, cheer, and get kicked out of stadiums. If you haven't heard, we spoke with Rochester Rhinos President and Chief Soccer Officer Pat Ricoli. Both parts of our interview are uploaded, so go ahead and check that out. Now lastly, listeners, you know the drill. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review and follow us at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. And fellas, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, Steven. It's hot in Texas, so all I've been doing is sweating for the last 24 hours, but I'm great. I know you were here actually last week, so. Yeah, uh, yeah Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast had a little get-together. Two out of the three members were able to make it down to Dallas, Texas. The other one was stuck in Minnesota. Jake, how are we doing? I will say, as a fan of MLS and a co-host of the show, I have been wronged so many times over the last week with flags, with being kicked out of games, with not being invited to a local bar in Dallas, Texas to watch MLS. (laughs) This has just been a really crap week for me as a Uncle Sam co-host and MLS fan. Well, there you go. Listeners, as I mentioned, lots to get to. And I don't typically like doing this, listing out every storyline from the last week. But I think it's really worthwhile doing so because there's been so much stuff and we're not going to get to all of it today. Tweet at us at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. If there is a subject or storyline that you wanted us to touch, we could touch on it on a future episode. But guys... Let's go back a week. Not even a week, actually. Last Wednesday, Mateus Almeida gets kicked out as LAFC stomps San Jose. Then we go to Thursday. Jake's Minnesota United dropped the ball and lose to SKC, a club desperately looking for a result. Then we turn the page to Friday. Supporters in Portland stay silent with their protest for about a third of the game. Seattle go on, win 2-1 to in the Cascadia Cup. Jose Martinez scores yet again, making it 12 straight games with a goal. MLS record. Atlanta get past Orlando 1-0. Then we go to a 
plethora of games on Saturday. In Canada's biggest derby, Toronto came back, beat Montreal 2-1. Impact newcomer Bojan Kerik did score a stunner. If you haven't seen it, check out the highlights. Guys, my New England Revolution continued to gain momentum and points. Gustavo Bo with the 86-minute winner over the Chicago Fire. 2-1 to one was the scoreline at the end of the game. Philadelphia's Casper Shubutko butchered that left and right. Scores and assisted on two more goals before halftime in a critical 3-1 victory over struggling DC United. New York City is blue after they came back, beat Red Bulls 2-1. San Jose set all types of records in their 3-1 victory over Vancouver. RSL get by Colorado 2-0. RSL are suddenly second in the West. What? Yeah, you heard that correctly. Now let's get to Sunday. Columbus coasted past FC Cincinnati in the Hell is Real Derby, making it one loss in their last eight. Jassy Zardes with the brace. Nine yellow cards shown in that game. Dallas thump past Houston 5-1. And then in the game of the week, maybe game of the year, 3-3 draw in El Trafico. There was a ridiculous amount of stuff going on, Stephen. I mean, we, if we just even just talk about what happened um, on Sunday with El, El Trafico, I literally got done out of a press conference, and I walk, and we walk back from the locker room, and me and my buddy look at the TV, and it's 3-1 in the 20th minute. Like, what's going on? Rivalry Week was interesting. I'll, I'll just say that. I know you guys have mixed opinions on Rivalry Week. So, question of the day, listeners, and for Jake, Stephen, and I, what was your main takeaway from Rivalry Week? And I want to hear Jake's first, because I know Jake got, got, the, got the fire takes going on this week. I think he's a huge fan of Rivalry Week. Does Rivalry Week actually mean anything for the players? On the field. Some of them. I mean, Armand, you watch Montreal-Toronto. I mean... Was there any intensity in that match? Did you did you look at any of the players and go, wow, they really... Did you look at anybody on, on Montreal and go, wow, he that, that guy really hates Toronto. That guy really hates playing no, Toronto FC. I, no, I did, and, not, and, I did and, not. And vice versa. Do you get that feeling at all? Do you think Michael Bradley really just gets up when he has to play a middling Montreal impact? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I don't think so either. Am I supposed to believe that Seattle's win at Portland will be the confidence booster to get them back on track? Am I? Is that Was that a big win for Seattle? Well, I guess we'll touch on that later. Stay tuned, listeners. Is FC Dallas's drubbing of Houston the turning point in their season? Armand, you, you were there. Is it? Am I supposed to believe that this is what catapults FC Dallas to go on this run now and get into the playoffs and make a run all the way to MLS Cup. Did that game feel special to you last night? Did did Houston, did that game mean anything for the Houston Dynamo? It didn't look like it's me on TV. They lost 5-1. Didn't get up for it. it maybe for the fans who got kicked out. I don't know. More on that later too, <laughs> listeners. A lot of teases in my, my takes here. Is it really a rivalry if Orlando continues to get run over by Atlanta? That's a rivalry I don't understand. That gets that gets piped up so much. It's on national TV every every time the two teams play, and every time they play, you know Atlanta's going to win. Why why do I need to watch? I don't need to watch. Hey, what about uh, lot- SKC Minnesota, Jake? Uh, it's not a rivalry either. That's BS. And I will even go as far to say that 
Dallas and Colorado are bigger rivals of Minnesota than SKC, but we're just trying to pin the two geographical the, the two geographical cities to, against one another. So whatever you can thank MLS's marketing team on that one. And finally, I, I just think there's a lot of hot air with these matchups, with the exception of two. LAFC and the LA Galaxy and FC Cincinnati and the crew. Yes, FC Cincinnati and the crew. Two bottom feeders in the East. I feel like the fans care about that game. I feel like there are players on each team from different parts of Ohio that that game means something for. And I think those are really the only two rivalries right now in MLS that seem to mean anything. Don't give me Red Bulls. NYCFC. Don't give me New York is blue, New York is red. First of all, I don't think that game really matters. Second of all, the Red Bulls don't even play New York, play New Jersey. So as far as I'm concerned, New York is always blue. New Jersey is always red. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Shots fired. Listeners at Jake Wachova at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Negativity left and right on MLS Rivalry Week. Armand, a lot to respond there. I, I disagree a little bit there, Jake. I, I think there are more important rivalries. Seattle, Portland, El Trafico, Hell is Real Derby, the Hudson River Derby means something. Toronto, Montreal means something. Not necessarily to the uh, the players. Some of the players, sure, more than others. Especially, the, I think, for the newcomers, it's kind of hard to get into it. But then again, you can say that about international soccer. Christian Pulisic, if he were to play for Tottenham, right? Do you really think he hates Arsenal? Yeah, what what link does he have to Tottenham? It takes time to develop. That is why Zlatan Ibrahimovic is so important. He makes LAFC hate him. And he makes the Galaxy hate LAFC. You need superstars with big mouths to roast the other team. It is fantastic for the league the fact that El Trafico is as big as it is. Do you really think Atlanta fans really care about care about Orlando City? Do you really think they think about Orlando City and beating Orlando City because Orlando is always this thorn in their side and they just they just love to hate them? I mean, cuz I don't I don't think that's the case. I don't know, Armand, get get let's get your thoughts on this. I mean, there's I wouldn't say plenty of rivalries and I see why Jake thinks a lot of them are artificial. I think one of the things that's kind of taken away from the Portland-Seattle matchup, which should be a marquee rivalry, is the actual to play on the field. I think that's one thing that's huge. With LAFC and the Galaxy, every game I think we've seen has been a spectacle, right? First game, Zlatan, Zlatan comes in and plays out of his mind. This game, Zlatan again, played out of his mind. The play on the field matters as well. And for a lot of these games, the play on the field kind of just sucks. And I think that's why, you know, you get kind of that negative connotation towards some of these uh, rivalries. I mean, sure, the fans can be great all they want, but the the -the on-the-field product sucks. And are you really going to care about a quote-unquote rivalry? Interesting. Listeners, question of the day. What was your takeaway from Rivalry Week? And here's mine. The New England Revolution continued to gain momentum. Bruce Arena now is 7-4-1. The one loss is only two, one of the best team the leagues has ever seen in LAFC. It's a crazy turnaround under Bruce Arena. Credit Bruce Arena. Also, Gustavo Bo scored his fifth goal in his seventh appearance for the Revolution. Since 
Bo debuted for the Revs on July 17th. Only Atlanta's Martinez, LAFC's Vela, and LA Galaxy's Ibrahimovic have scored more goals in MLS play. These New England Revolution could make some noise on the show, and I said, let's see what they do after that LAFC loss. And so far, they've seemed to continue to gain momentum, and don't be surprised if they're suddenly the four seed, because it's very possible that they can climb the table that far up. Also, San Jose's record-breaking win against Vancouver. This is just insane. Most shots in an MLS match, 43. Most shots on goal, 19. Most shots in one half, 25. They held the ball for 75%, which is, according to Opta, 13th highest. Also, Vancouver's Maxine Crepo set the record for most saves by a keeper in a Major League Soccer match. And without him, it could have been one of the ugliest matches ever seen. Just, I, it had really nothing to do with rivalry weekend, but I think those are two... Funny notes, interesting notes to be brought up at Steven Jodrant at Oxyam Soccer Pod. The MLS playoff picture is freaking nuts, man. I think that's my takeaway from rivalry week. I think at one point we saw LA Galaxy jump up the two in the live standings in like the first half of El Trafico. That's how nuts this thing is. And every team will have a panic attack and say, oh, wow, we're not going to make playoffs, whatever. That's all BS. Spots two through eight are separated by six points in the Western Conference. With RSL sitting with 43 points at 2. And Portland sitting at 37 points at 8. In the East, we're starting to see wait, a little wait, bit of separation. Wait, I, gotta, I have to interrupt you there. Because that paints a, a, a separation from 2 to 8 of 6 points. Which is crazy to think about. But think about this, listeners. 2 to 7. The teams that are in the playoffs currently are separated by 3 points. I mean, FC Dallas could finish... With the two-seed, Armand. And everyone's panicking about their, their season, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy. Every fan's like, oh, we're not going to the playoff. Relax. Calm down. You'll be fine. You just won't get the one-seed. You won't get the home field advantage. And that's okay. Who cares? It's, it's crazy. Because look at the East. In the East, you're starting to see a separation, right? Atlanta, Philly, NYC, they're starting to separate from everyone else. But they have Red Bulls. DC's been struggling. Revolution on the way up. Toronto's kind of just meh. Montreal kind of meh. Orlando meh. Chicago meh. It's really shaping up to be a very fun playoff push. And the rivalry week had playoff implications. It showed a little bit in the matches. But let me just tell you this. This playoff race is really shaping up to be one of intrigue. And I'm really interested. I mean, I know we're a few weeks away to see how all this shapes up. Actually, a couple of months away, how this shapes up on decision day and how much implications these standings will have. Listeners, give us your thoughts at Unc Sam Soccer Pod on Twitter. What was your takeaway from rivalry week? Now, guys, let's shift gears here. Let's talk about a rivalry game. In particular, let's specifically talk about the Portland Timbers versus the Seattle Sounders. Sounders come away with a win 2-1. And there was a ton of controversy surrounding this game, most particularly the fans' protest. And Stephen, I want to ask you, did the fans cost the Timbers the game? 
No, the fans did not cost the Timbers the game. If athletes are so influenced by their fans that the results depend on the fans, that is a scary, scary thing to put your hope into. Because guess what? In sports, you play away games. And on these away games, you do not have your fans entirely with you. So no, the Portland Timbers fans did not cost the Timbers to lose to their bitter rival in the Seattle Sounders. However, I'm going to put a layer of nuance to this. It did neutralize the game. Okay, You put this game with no fans, it becomes neutral. It's all about what's happening on the field. For the first 33 minutes, the fans sat quiet. And that benefits the road team because guess what? The home fans yell and cheer for the home team. So for 33 minutes, the game was on an even playing field where there was no home field advantage. Here's, here is, I think, the biggest controversy surrounding this fan protest. was the fact that Portland Timbers owner, Merritt Paulson, expressed frustration and blamed the Timbers' loss on this. He later issued a statement to Orgorian's Jamie Gobra elaborating his interaction. Quote, the Timbers' army didn't cause us to lose, he said. I get and appreciate their issue with the league, but I was upset about the game, and I don't believe a silent support section helps our home field advantage. And guys, the impact of this loss is pretty substantial because Portland is three points behind FC Dallas for the final playoff position. So the frustration by Paulson probably is somewhat fair because he realizes, crap, we're not in the playoffs. However, to blame the fans originally for their loss is just pathetic. I'm sorry, it's pathetic. That's the excuse you're going to give your players? Yeah, they lost, so blame the fans? Come on now. It's it's funny, Stephen, because what what do you say in like games such as when they drew a team like the Colorado Rapids at home two two or Orlando City one one? Is that wow? We had a full supporter section. They cost us the game. Nah, that's a, that's not that's not that that's not how it works. I'm sure it had it, it probably had some sort of impact. I mean, we saw Zarek Valentin. Uh, come into the uh, match with an iron front shirt. Um, just for listeners who don't understand what we're talking about or don't know what we're talking about, uh, the Timbers Army are upset about a league-wide policy, basically talking about the banning of uh, political signage in MLS stadiums. Timbers Army and the Emerald City Supporters Group, the Seattle Sounders Supporters Group, decided to protest the match for 33 minutes. In 1933, the Nazi Party Ban the Iron Front logo, an Iron Front party, or forgive me if I'm wrong. One of those two things from uh, from it just they just, ban- they just banned it. So they decided, you know what, we're gonna protest this first 33 minutes. It it did provide a very interesting atmosphere, but like I said, that's not something you can blame. I can understand Merritt's frustration, but I think it has to be what it's a little bit more alarming of the Timbers on the field have these massive home games, and these continue not to get results. That's a little bit more concerning. Right, exactly. Not You shouldn't be blaming the fans for this. I think it's a really bad look for Paulson to do that. 
His his if he had originally said what he issued in a statement to Goldberg, it would have been fine. I again appreciate their issue with the league, but I was upset about the game, and I don't believe a silent supporter section helps our home field advantage. It's completely true that a silent supporter section does not help a home field advantage. Just ask FC Dallas and the Houston Dynamo. They they don't have that big of a home field advantage because their supporter sections are kind of tiny. And come on, the noise made by fans at say a Colorado, at a Dallas, at a Houston, at a Revolution is not. It's just not comparable to the noise and to the support that the Portland Timbers get. Jake, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I don't think the fans lost the Timbers at the game. But I don't think the fans helped the Timbers towards the cause of winning the game whatsoever. You have to think for those first 33 minutes of the game, the fans' protests sucked the life out of the game and allowed Seattle to settle in. Well, it was and a very just, strange game watching on television without the supporter section. Like it, it was, it sounded, it, was it sounded like a baseball game. Exactly. There we go. That's what I was looking for. What did it sound like? It sounded like a baseball game with a few cheers here and there, but mostly people just conversations, on... just yep. conversations. That's yep. all you're hearing is conversations. That's what people do at baseball games. No one's people. When you go to a baseball game, you're just, you're just there. You're talking to whoever's around you. I mean, any game really, but with 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 a baseball game, it's it's quiet. There's not you don't hear the squeaking of the shoes like you would at an NBA game with a dribble of the ball. You don't hear the skates like you would at, at a hockey game at a baseball game. All you're really doing is just you know you're hearing the the ball hit the mitt, you're hearing the ball hit the bat, that whole thing. Same with soccer, you're just hearing the ball kicked around, and then you just hear the conversations all throughout the stadium. And the coach and is yelling. Where, <laughs> and the coach is yelling. That's what it reminded me of. So, look, I think the protest could have led to the Timbers starting that match in a more complacent mindset with there being no energy in the building. But like you've said, Stephen, and like you've said, Armand, your professional teams, you have to get up no matter if you're playing in a game that's a silent protest or you're playing in a game with 40,000 supporters cheering or you're playing on a Wednesday night in Colorado. You have to get up. And here and honestly, this is what I think. This is just my take from it. Portland's just not good. They're just not a good team. Timbers Army could have been chanting that entire game. It wouldn't have mattered. They weren't winning that game. Perfect. Seattle had that thing. Perfect segue, Jake, there. Is Portland in trouble? I got a huge sense of yes, you saying they're not that good. Armand, how much in trouble is Portland right now? Well, they have one road match left, but they haven't been that high at home, Stephen and Jake. They've gone three. We have had three wins, three losses, and three draws in the last seven home matches. Draws against the Rapids and Orlando City. You guys remember that game? Losses against Atlanta and Seattle. And wins against the Galaxy, lowly Vancouver, and floundering Chicago. They have a really interesting schedule coming up. With RSL, SKC, DC, Red Bulls, Minnesota, the New England Revolution, at Sporting Kansas City, and San Jose, all coming up. I have in our notes, bold equals in the playoff hunt, and every single one of those teams are bolded. Their schedule is tough, and they need to get these points at home, and it just seems like something is missing. Brian Fernandez, great start, 
kind of calmed down a little bit. Where's Diego Valeri stepping up in these spots when you know Diego Chara is going to be important, but Valeri needs to, you know, be that guy, that MVP caliber guy. The team runs through him. I'm a little concerned, Jake. I don't know about you, but I'm a little concerned. Jake, you've been harping that Portland isn't that good for a while. I think I went week four. I said it, didn't I? I don't. We'd have to check the tapes. The beginning of the season, I said I'm concerned about the Portland Timbers, and now I believe at the time I said I think they'll still finish in the playoffs. I think they'll be a, a six, seven, or five seed, and I still think that today. I still think this team's gonna make the playoffs. I have a very hard time believing that a team with seven home matches, granted they're against all playoff teams, all the remaining schedules against playoff teams with the exception of the two games against Sporting Kansas City. They will make the playoffs. Granted, I, it'll be it'll be the sixth seed or the seventh seed. Look at RSL at home, SKC at home, Minnesota at home, San Jose at home. There's four, five matches right there against teams ahead of them or just below them in the standings. Those are going to be the games that are going to make or break the Timber season. Those games against RSL and Minnesota, those are six-pointers. Those yeah. are six-point games. So they have to win those matches. They don't win those. If they if they come next week, if they lose to RSL, they're in trouble. That's that's when I'll say, ooh, I don't know if this team's make the playoffs. They just lost to RSL. If they go and then again lose to SKC or don't get a win against SKC, yeah, yeah, they're in trouble. This team, they, it, these next two matches are the most crucial matches on the Portland Timbers schedule. All right, guys, let's transition here. The other game we circled was obviously El Trafico, and boy, did it live up to its hype. Yeah, courtesy of Fox Sports. Goes all and then losing it to Banisher as he was trying to escape. Vela cutting inside. Mark Anthony K. K. Back for Vela. Robbie Dolvin didn't get there. Vela ties the game. Like I was telling you guys in uh, our opening takes, I came out from the locker room, looked up, and it was 3-1. And I was like, oh, my God. What did I miss? How During pissed Lucci's were you? press conference. No, listen to this. During Luigi's press conference, they had the game on. Zlatan scored, and everyone turned around to watch it during the presser. You see his eyes look up, and he's trying to answer a question, but he's looking behind <laughs> the guy. And it's like, first off, uh... what idiot has, the, has one of the best games on at that time? And secondly... Come on, MLS. Let me let me do some interviews. Then something again. Come on. But no, that was a fantastic game. A great affair. We saw Zlatan, man. Do we have to even say anything about this guy anymore? How he's just an LAFC killer? Do we? Oh, love it. Love it. I mean, four goals in 16 minutes. Ibra opens in the second minute. Blessing responds in the 12th. Ibra says, you know what? I'm going to come down, score again in the 15th minute. And then Pavone, their newest signing, which they found every loophole in the MLS rulebook to acquire him, scores in the 16th minute. Four goals in 16 minutes. I mean, the fans went nuts. The stadium was rocking. The announcers love it. Twitter was going wild. Honestly, one of the best games 
all year long. And I think this was a great showcase for MLS. And here's my one gripe. Can somebody explain to me why are we starting these games at 9.30 Central Time, 10.30 on the East Coast? Who has time to watch these games and stay up till midnight? You're, you're alienating a good chunk of the soccer-watching population. A lot of us probably did stay up to watch it, but still, come on, MLS. Start the game, I don't know, 30 minutes earlier, an hour earlier. I'm pretty sure the TV number would be ginormously better if the game didn't start when people are about to go to sleep. No, Stephen, you're right. I don't understand why MLS chooses to basically exclude half of the continental U.S. by starting this match at 930 Central Time. I don't understand why FC Cincinnati Columbus and Dallas Houston was must-watch TV for MLS. I, I, I don't. This match should have been at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at the latest. You could have gotten everybody in the in the country watching it. This was this game was a great display of what exciting soccer can be in MLS. It had all the star power. You had Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Carlos Vela, Christian Pavone, Diego Rossi, cast of thousands. Just great, great matchup. And it's unfortunate this game had to start at 9:30. Let's talk about some stats here. How about Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I, 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 we've said it a thousand times in this show. Great player, but look at what he's done against LAFC. Eight goals and one assist in five games against the Crosstown rivals. Now, Armand, why was the LA Galaxy able to pick apart LAFC in the first half? They just played direct, and it kind of caught LAFC in, like, a really bad spot. I mean, we saw, you know, just, just, just feeding the ball to Zlatan is what LA Galaxy's DNA is. It's a bread and butter. We just want to give the ball to Zlatan, and hopefully Zlatan, you know, can make some magic. And they did that, and once they, all the attention kind of shifted towards Zlatan and allowed guys like Pavone and Antuna to, you know, capitalize on those opportunities. Look, they really caught LAFC off guard. I mean, I, I seriously, guys. I cannot believe that LAFC cannot beat LA, the LA Galaxy. I really can't believe this because the Galaxy aren't that good. We know this. Like The Galaxy have been unimpressive at times, not that fun to watch, and LAFC have been nothing but brilliant, but they just can't beat them. I don't know what it is. I mean, Steven, do you have a hunch? Because I don't know what it is. Are they rising up to the occasion? Is I, that what it is? Well, I think Ibra lives for this moment. I really do. He loves when... The spotlight is on him. He seems to take care of it every time the spotlight. He seems to enjoy the spotlight and then actually goes out there and performs. Talk about a big game player. I think it's mind games. I really do. I think LAFC are just crap. What what are we doing here? But I, I do think tactically LAFC were, were reactive in the first half. And that's how... LA Gal- how the Galaxy were able to build a 3 to 1 lead after 16 minutes. It was a very simple game plan. But Armand, it, but what about the game plan of playing direct was so successful against LAFC? 
Was it the fact that you have a Pavone coming into the squad with his ability and Ibra's finishing that it just works? I mean, Jonathan Dos Santos was all over the field. He had a fantastic game. It, it seems like the Galaxy, when the the lights are turned on, they live for that moment. But when they play a mediocre team, it suddenly they go into the shell and Ibra's probably got one half of his mind on the game and the other half on some interview with Jimmy Kimball or some promotion that he's going to do after the game. Right, Steven. It's, it seems like they do play up to the occasion. And it's like we talked about what, last week when they played the Sounders, right? They were down to man, but they outplayed one of the better teams in MLS. Look, the Galaxy, for some reason, is play up. And I think Pavone does play a role in that. that now Zlatan is getting balls that are actually nice. You know, they're not, <laughs> they're not bad. But doesn't it take, like, doesn't nice. Pavone take off? or take some of the pressure off other players, not only Ibra? Yeah, other takes players pressures are... off a guy like Skelvik, like Rolf Fletcher, like Antuna, like Alvarez. But even he, a Jonathan go, Dos Santos, where he, right? He, he's just able, they're able to do what they're good at. You have a skillful player in Pavone, who, by the way, is headed to Europe, and it's just a matter of time before somebody uh, pays up for him because he's been fantastic since he's been introduced to the lineup. And I think Ibra, knowing Pavone's skill set, probably takes the team a little more seriously or takes the games a little bit more seriously, knowing, hey, maybe we do actually have a shot to lift some silverware. I definitely agree with your take, Stephen, about Pavone kind of raising the water level, if you will, of LA Galaxy. It feels like Zlatan has to be on more high alert playing with Pavone because there's another player that can get him the ball another high quality player that can get in the ball. I mean, how often do we hear of these star players from Europe who come over to MLS who complain about players first touches being poor or the passings poor stuff like that. You got a guy like Christian Pavone there, highly talented who can get Zlatan the ball. And I feel like Zlatan has to be on high alert. Just, just being constantly ready for those passes, constantly getting himself into positions to receive passes from Pavone. And I think his comments last night, post-game, just illustrate that. Zlatan, everyone was talking about how this was the game of the season. It was intense on the sideline. Talk me through how this played out for you. It was a good game, especially the first 45 minutes. We did good. I think in the second, we became tired. We did simple mistakes. We were looking for the long ball, and I... I was tired. I'm sorry. I was tired. You didn't seem like it. No, in moments out here. What do you take from this one? Uh, I mean, I think the fans enjoyed. And uh, we could win. We were leading 3-1. We conceded the, the second goal in the, end, in the end of the first half. But, yeah, things happen. Simple mistakes. And, uh, and you pay for it. I know that you always want to win, but you walk out of here with a draw and you remain undefeated against your rival. What does it say about this group that you have not given it away to them yet? I mean, we need points. I think they're already in the playoffs and uh, we need points. And we are playing to come high as possible in the table and to to grab that playoff uh, position. And uh, 
and we got one point today. We could get more, but it's the game. Well, there you have it. That was courtesy of Fox Sports. And Armand, let's start with you. Who is feeling better after the game? LA Galaxy or LAFC? I guess I have the hot take here. Wow, surprise, surprise. This is the first time for me. I'm really proud of myself. I just want to give a shout out to my fans for this really hot take. Um, I had LAFC actually feeling a lot better after a match. Look, I know it's a draw. I know the result is the result. But if you're Bob Bradley, you're telling these guys, hey, look, we killed these guys in the second half. I know, look, they didn't get the win. They want to get the win. But look, you got to put it in perspective. Vela had to be subbed out due to injury precaution. You saw the Galaxy just... They just, weren't, they just weren't up for it in the second half. I don't know what it was, but they were just last-dish defending. It was LAFC mistakes that led to them not scoring. So in my eyes, I think if you're LAFC, you can say, we can beat these guys, right? Because the first game, I don't think you could say that. I think you could say you just got outclassed. You got outclassed in the first, in the first uh, leg of El Trafico. But this one, you, you, don't, you, you don't say that. And you keep this in the back of your mind, heading into the playoffs. And Come if you on, see the Galaxy again... this I'm sorry, that that's a bad take. That's a bad take. We, LAFC, can beat the Los Angeles Galaxy. Jake, remind me where LAFC are in the table. Well, Stephen, they sit on top of the Western Conference. Just with- the Western Conference, or is it... All of MLS, like the supporters. All of MLS. Seal. Okay. Well, let's just say they are sixty. Uh, how many points do they have? Fifty. Sixty-two like, points, 60 po- which oh. is exactly twenty more than the LA Galaxy. And what what is their goal differential? Forty-six for huh. LAFC, and the Galaxy have a goal differential of negative three. <laughs> we can beat. That's pretty the astounding. Jesus. We can beat. The Galaxy. That is what the best team, one of the best teams in MLS regular season history thinking about walking off that pitch. I'm sorry. It's the Galaxy for one simple reason. It's mind games. LAFC do not have an answer for the Los Angeles Galaxy. I don't know why. I don't get it. Is it the fact that Ebro suddenly becomes Ebro of 10 years ago and wants to outshine everybody? Maybe. Maybe the players feel that sentiment and want to carry it. Maybe it's it's just the Los Angeles Galaxy and their rich, rich history of winning in Major League Soccer when it counts. How, they got the most MLS Cups. I don't know what it is. But for the fact that the Galaxy go into bonk of California Stadium and for 45 minutes have LAFC chasing their own tail at home is impressive. And I think if this was a one-off playoff game, I think all the advantage is to the Galaxy. LAFC don't know what to do. And if the Galaxy were to take the lead in the playoff game against LAFC, what player on LAFC has shown to step it up? It was blessing last night. Carlos Vela got the game-time goal. That's good for momentum. But who on LAFC is the Ebra? Who is that person to really take command? I am just unconvinced that LAFC have what it takes 
to go for 90 minutes and win something with their backs against the wall. I have said this for weeks, and this has been a question. This this was when the the L Trafico of a couple weeks ago, when LAFC lost to the Galaxy. Big when the sh- lights shine brightest, LAFC hasn't always performed well. And last night, first 45 minutes was rather subpar. Second 45, they got the game tire. And Armand, you have it in the notes that if it were for five more, game was prolonged for another five to ten minutes, they probably would have gotten the winner. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not too sure. I'm 100% sure, I'll tell you that. Guys, it's LA Galaxy. They got the quote-unquote point away from home. Good road point. Like Steven said, mind games. The LA Galaxy are living rent-free inside the mines of LAFC. It doesn't matter where they play. It doesn't matter. StubHub Center, Bank of California Stadium, Galaxy, Galaxy don't lose. They don't lose to them. And I think that has to mean something. Zlatan, we've said it a thousand times, loves to get up for these games. Eight goals in five games played against LAFC. And I think Christian Pavone showed that he can be a menace in the midfield when playing LAFC. I mean, like the Red Sea just parted for that opening goal where he found Zlatan making that running behind right in the LAFC midfield. And Steven touched on this. Zlatan, he's got a killer instinct. He'll rip your heart out. Carlos Vela going to do that? Diego Rossi well, going to do that? He, I mean, Carlos Vela did rip the heart out of the San Jose defense in the, on Wednesday. But is he going to rip the heart out of his biggest rival? Is he going to rip his heart, the heart out, the hearts out of the team they're playing in the playoffs? Diego Rossi going to do it? Is this new D- DP Brian Rodriguez going to do it? I mean, I don't know. But I can tell you for a fact, Zlatan, he's got that killer instinct. And I think Christian Pavone has it too. And Jonathan Del Santos, big last night. Every guy in LA Galaxy, all the important players stepped up. And I think in a one-off playoff game, these two teams meet. Doesn't matter if it's in Carson. Doesn't matter if it's in downtown Los Angeles. If I'm LAFC, I do not feel comfortable playing the Galaxy once these uh, games really start to matter. Guys, one final point. We've got to make this really, really short. Alexi Lawless said something that I texted you during and after the match. You were watching it. Give us your thoughts on what we just seen tonight. I think we saw one of the great games in MLS history. They had me take me down to the Paradise City, and from there it was just fireworks uh, all over the place. Stars showing up, stars not showing up, stars we didn't think were there showing up. It was a wonderful game of soccer, and without a doubt, this is the number one biggest rivalry in Major League Soccer. Uh, I agree. It was one of the greatest games in MLS history. And this is the best rivalry in MLS. I agree. Not the greatest game, but rivalry. Best rivalry, not the greatest game. I still give the slight edge to that Toronto-Montreal impact playoff It's one of the greatest, not the greatest. One of the greatest. Oh, changing your words up now. No, Mm. no, I said it was one of the greatest. Mm. What did he say to text message, Jake? What did he say to text message, Jake? The greatest, and then when I rebuttaled, he said, no, that's not true. This is the greatest. I'm like, it's 3-1 in the 20th minute. Let's, Let's pump the brakes here for a second. Listeners. We love your comments and thoughts. We had a listener request earlier today asking for our take on 
the situation in the stands in the FC Dallas Houston match where Houston fans were asked to leave early. Now, Armand, you were in the belly of the beast. You were at the match last night. You spoke with some FC Dallas officials earlier today. What can you tell us? Essentially, what they told me was they believe that the game, that the match itself, you know, from my perspective, that, hey, look, that both the FC Dallas security and the Houston account security manager or supporters, uh, it was a longer name, that, hey, look, we both agree that we think the, es- the tensions are kind of escalating. Let's get them out of there. And allegedly, the supporters of Houston voluntarily left, and the video that we saw that surfaced on Twitter has been one of the few that haven't. Um, talking to at the Exodus spokespeople, they told me, they gave me a little taste of what the uh, incidents were, and it did seem like they were escalating. However, I feel like they did deal with them well. I mean, you can read on social media. Uh, it seemed like there was a fan throwing beer. It seems like fans from the other supporters group were getting in with the Houston supporters group. There are two opposite sides of the stadium, by the way. So it's a really interesting scenario. All in all, I feel like some people think that I'm on FC Dallas' side just because I report FC Dallas' side. It's not the case. I don't agree with it. You're a fan. You're at a match. Look, they were down 4-0. And that the fact they want to stay in the support, they should. They should kick out the bad guys, but I think it's on Toyota Stadium that, hey, look, you didn't have increased security. Have as much security to deal with that situation. I don't agree with the way it was handled. I really don't. Don't kick out the entire group and let them and make them leave early. They want to say they want to stay, but increase security around them. Don't have them so close to fans and stuff like that. I also just think Toyota Stadium is not is just in this day and age not made to host like a big marquee endless event. I don't think so. I think it has in the past, but now supporters groups and stuff like that, it just doesn't work. And it's the first time I've ever had an issue well, this year of a supporters group coming in and having an issue like this. All in all, I just don't agree with the way it was handled. Um, I don't care what they did. Throw out those fans. Don't punish a group of 40, 50 people. I mean, guys, I know we're making this quick. I mean, what do you guys think of the whole thing? Yeah, it's just not a good look from Dallas when you're kicking out the fans for – who aren't doing anything. Kick out the bad ones. Yes, of course, kick out the bad ones. But if they want to stay, support their team, let them stay. It's your fault that you didn't have increased security. It's your fault that you weren't prepared for this. And it's a strange look, by the way, where the Houston fans are in that stadium. It's a stadium of yesteryear. It's not necessarily designed for a marquee, massive matchup. Where like, they... Steven, I hate to interrupt you. I hate to interrupt you. But if they hosted MLS Cup, I don't know if the stadium could handle it. I really don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, you're there more there. often than I am, but I remember the stadium. I know what it looks like. It's it's just a stadium not necessarily designed to have away fans in a section where they're protected, where you can have security. Most of the times, it's... The Houston fans are in a section, and they're taped off several rows below, so there's some sort of gap. But it's a very strange look. It's just not it's it's not a well-equipped stadium, and Dallas should prepare better for it. Now, luckily for Dallas, you have the Galaxy and LAFC match to 
cover much of what has happened in the weekend. Frankly, I don't think much of MLS cares of of what happened in this matchup because it's it's just not a marquee game, nor nor is it really two marquee clubs. Jake, final word. Look, if someone's throwing beer at somebody else, yeah, get them out of there, kick them out. But to kick the whole section out 10 minutes early before the match ends, now granted the match <laughs> the match was over then, but not a good look for MLS, not a good look for FC Dallas. Why couldn't FC Dallas security, Dallas police, whoever, why couldn't they say, hey, Dynamo fans, you're going to have to stay an extra half hour here before we can let you out of the stadium. We That's what make they sure, usually do. For a we yeah, make sure everyone's gone. We'll escort you out of here. We don't want any confrontations in the parking lot or in the concourse after the match. Why wasn't that a thing that was done? Why do you have to make the fans leave 10 minutes earlier than they're supposed to? Why does one rotten apple make the rest of the apples rotten. I'm not even sure that's the right phrase, but you get the you get the gist. You get the point. Bad look for FC Dallas and MLS. Should have been handled a completely different way. Listeners, if you have a request, a topic, or want our thoughts on something, at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod, or email us, Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. Armand, time for your two stars, one sucker. Go. Guys, two stars, one sucker. I mean, obviously, you got to go with star number one, the biggest star in MLS right now, Giassi Zardes, ladies and gentlemen. I got y'all <laughs> right there. I got y'all right there. Two goals against FC Cincinnati. You thought I was going to say Zlatan. Well, well that's what you have written two. down on our doc. Hey, I hit, I hit him with the change up. Yes, yes, I tell your did. girl to ease up. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is my number two star. Brilliant display. What can you say about Zlatan? He's a, he's a showman. I love watching him play. Pretty cool when you have a stab on an MLS player who's can only share a stat with two other players, Messi and I think it was Ronaldo. And my sucker, God, my favorite team in MLS, Jake's favorite team in MLS. Jake, stand up. Hey, Armand, talk this about your catfished. Jake got catfished by FC Cincinnati. I saw Jake, this, uh, I saw this I saw this beautiful woman <laughs> when I thought was a beautiful woman saw the pictures online perfect angles that's what it's all about ladies you know this you know this, the, ladies. all about the angles when you're taking your pictures you know I mean guys that's, too though guys like, too you know, you know you're, if you're taking a selfie you gotta know your angle you gotta know how you, how you look on a certain angle but that's why I saw an FC Cincinnati I'm like wow look at this defensive depth yeah, had a winning pedigree in USL East is kind of down. They can be competitive, right? Wow, I'm buying in. Let's let's put let's put this pen to paper. Let's tweet out that FC Cincinnati is going to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Let's let's do it. Let's challenge Sam Stasekul in an episode when he says, "I laugh at anybody that would think this team's a playoff team." Oh my god, yeah, you did that, man. And then and then you you know she asked you to come over. And you're like, all right, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. We're going to go over there. We're going to meet this girl. We're going to date, something to that effect, whatever. And you get there. Oh, it's, a, it's, 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 it's not pretty. It's not what you thought you were getting yourself into with, with you know, keeping it you know, PG here. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. I Catfished. I was catfished. Call over Neve. Call over the MTV crew. 
I got mine up to the catfish. We got to the bottom of it. FC Cincinnati, not who I thought they were. There you have it. Jake giving us an accurate description of the sucker of the week, FC Cincinnati, losing 3-1 to their rivals in the Hell is Real Derby. And, I mean, they weren't making the playoffs anyway, but, but securing or getting close to securing that wooden spoon to be the worst team in MLS. We love to see it, guys. We love to see it. Listeners, give us your thoughts. The question of the day at Unksam Soccer Pod on Twitter. What was your biggest takeaway from Rivalry Week? If you haven't already, go back and listen to part one and part two, where we interviewed President and Chief Soccer Officer of the Rochester Rhinos, Pat Ercoli. Also be on the lookout. We'll have our U.S. Open Cup final recap show dropping Jake will either be drunk and happy or pissed off and a normal Minnesota fan. It's it's definitely 95% is going to be the latter. I'm definitely going to be pissed off and angry. I can tell you that right now. You can follow Stephen Jodoran at Stephen Jodoran. You can follow Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai. You can follow my ups and downs on Tuesday night at Jake Watroba as I watch the U.S. Open Cup. For Stephen and Armand, I'm Jake. We'll talk to you guys next time. Duncan's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Duncan. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.